0: Hello and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. This week I speak with Langston Evans, who is the AVID, or Advancement Via Individual Determination, District Coordinator for the Madison Metropolitan School District. Through this program, he and his team have been able to increase access to post-secondary for students who've traditionally been underrepresented in colleges. How they go about it is the interesting part, and I think you're going to really appreciate his perspective on how one goes about making meaningful change. Also, I really appreciated his reminder that we need to focus on both the instructional and the cultural aspects to move any school forward. Now, if you like what you're hearing, connect with Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, follow us on Twitter, which is at IntersectionEd, or you can follow me at Corey Haley, C-O-R-E-Y-H-A-L-E-Y, or even on Facebook. We also really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with Langston Evans. Welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. Uh, Langston, how are you today?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you.
0: That's great. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. And I want to start by talking about the program that that you're currently coordinating uh, in Madison. Can Can you tell me a little about the AVID or the Advancement Via Individual Determination Program? Kind of what it is, who's it for, and some of the things that you guys are looking to achieve.
1: Yeah um actually uh, the um avid program advancement via individual determination is um a national program with uh, almost 40 year old history um focused on equity um it's it's really translated into a philosophy of how do we uh ensure that all students particularly those that have been impacted historically um and have not been given chances historically, are given opportunities, multiple opportunities, to find success uh, beyond high school and be prepared for college and career. Um, In Madison, we are very fortunate that we have paired this national program um, with a partnership, and it's an Avid TOPS program. Um, And TOPS stands for Teens of Promise, and this is a, a, a wonderful community partnership we have with our our local uh, Boys and Girls Club here. Um, But what the program is at its core is a philosophy that um, at its mission is to close achievement gaps. And it posits those achievement gaps as opportunity gaps, um, that those students who are not um, achieving um, at the levels of our uh, middle-class students um, and our white students um, haven't, haven't been given uh, the opportunities um, that they need to be successful. And so there's three uh, reinforcing elements to um, the way that we approach avid tops here in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, the first is um, there is an elective class uh, for students who are underrepresented in higher education. Um, here we have that class available, in um, 11 of our 12 middle schools and our four comprehensive high schools um, from grade 7 through uh, high school through grade 12. Um, That class targets students who are uh, underrepresented in higher education who are what we call students in the middle. Um, And so the underrepresented part are we're looking at students of color, Um, we're looking at students who will be the first in their families to attend college, a four-year college. Uh, we are looking for uh, students who have uh, limited economic resources um, in the home and students who have other special circumstances. Um, and so that's our target group. Um, and students in the middle we define as students um, who have a GPA, a grade point average, of a 2.0 to a 3.5. Um, and these that's our target audience um, uh, in the measurables. Uh, we are also looking for students um, in the elective class who are uh, interested and desiring to go to four-year college. And the purpose of this elective class is to be a space, a model classroom, where we have these students, and we are pro- they're provided a class where they are where they loop with their classmates and they build this community. Um, throughout their middle school experience, and then they're uh, regrouped with a group of students in their high school experience. When they stay together for, in the high school experience for four years, um, where they can build a safe space and, and engage in really deep, powerful uh, academic work. We push these students to take classes that are very rigorous, classes that they would not normally take, um, but we provide that safe space in the elective class, which meets. Um, every day um, that supports the work they're doing in their other classes. So we push them to take the hardest classes that they can take um, and provide them in the elective class with um, a collaborative tutorial environment where they're leading their own learning and asking questions that they're getting from their other classes and providing them with college readiness experiences and study skills support. So that's the first element. The second element is a school-wide approach to equity. Uh, what, we, what we call AVID School-wide. It really helps schools assess where they are in providing equitable opportunities for students, staff, and families. Um, and there is uh, a certification and coaching tool um, that we use with all of our uh, secondary schools, middle schools and high schools, to help them um, assess where they are with equity. Um, and this goes from instruction to the uh, leadership, to the culture of the school, um, and even what are the systems and scheduling and budgeting. How, does that all, uh, how is that all viewed through an equity lens? Um, so that's the second um, element that connects to the first. So the first element is about a specific group of students. The second is really about how the school is doing, because we know that those particular students aren't going to do well if the school isn't changing what it does. Um, and the third is professional development or professional learning. Um, and there's a system for finding common elements and common strategies that will help all staff be trained in high quality, high impact professional learning. Um, and so those are the three areas, um, that we focus on. And the goal is to change the way the schools work. It's not to boost up a certain group of young people or young scholars. It is to actually change the relationship between the students and the school and provide the school with resources to change the way it works.
0: That sounds really comprehensive. Um, And so when you are talking about the AVID program versus um, the one that happens where you are in Madison, those three elements, are those everywhere? Are those the particular ones that you guys have developed in Madison that you've had success with?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, The three elements I describe is what's happening everywhere. What we have in Madison that is unique and the only place in the world is that we have such a strong relationship um, with our partner, which is the Boys and Girls Club. We are able to provide wraparound supports for our students um, that include mentoring, that include enhanced college visits, and something that very few places have, which is Transition services and college coaching. Um, That doesn't happen everywhere else. Whereas our students here in Madison, um, once they uh, graduate from high school, um, they are provided with college and life coaches all the way through their post-secondary career. Um, That coaching actually begins as early as uh, junior year, where we have um, our colleagues and our partnership we work together with our counselors and teachers and community partners to provide uh, financial planning and college planning that leads into college coaching um, and um, financial and academic support that goes beyond high school. And then we're able to track um, our persistence of our students beyond high school. And that's actually quite unique to Madison. Yeah,
0: that, And, and I mean, I, the stuff that I have read and the reason that we're talking is that, is that you guys have been really recognized by the way that you have administered this program. And, and so I think that that that's really interesting. How did, how did that partnership between the school district and the boys and girls club come around? Was this something that you were both working on? Was it um, some of the relationship connections? Um, what kind of started that process of you making what seems to be a really powerful relationship for kids?
1: It it really uh, is mission alignment. Um, it, this relationship has – this is the 11th year of this relationship. Um, when AVID first came to the Madison Metropolitan School District, um, one school, um, East High School, was the school that piloted the program. And the idea was that we knew that we had this achievement gap in Madison between our – particularly our, our, our African-American students um, – graduation rate in our in our our white students graduation rate and um, at that time in 2007 um, the assistant superintendent was at a school reform conference and avid was presented as one of the strategies to potentially address this um, and so it was piloted at East at the same time um, the community organization Boys and Girls Club Um, had their board had decided that they really want to address access to post-secondary education for students or young people of color in Madison. Um, And it just so happened that um, there were relationships between board members, between the um, Boys and Girls Club and the school district. And they went into the um, AVID elective class and saw some of the possibilities there and decided that they could work better together and be more efficient and have a collaborative impact on the changing, not just the way teaching happens, but the way that students and families engage with school. Right.
0: Now, when we're talking about the program in Mass, and you mentioned it was in 11 schools, how, how many students do you would you say that you're working with at any given time? And, and by students, I, I'm probably making. Families, but yeah, how many how many kids would be following um, the AVID program from seven all the way through potentially post secondary? It sounds like at any given point.
1: So it's a pipeline, and it's been growing. So we just uh, just as a point of of clarification, um, we have eleven middle schools and four high schools, so we have fifteen schools. Um, as of right now, we have uh, fifteen hundred students. About five hundred, a little over five hundred in the middle school, seven um, and eighth grades, um, and then nearly a um, thousand in the high school in the four high schools that we have. Um, so we have about fifteen hundred um, that we're working with in the K twelve system in the elective class, um, and then in the in the um, college coaching. We have about 500 students that are uh, actively uh, enrolled in college in the last semester. Obviously, most of our colleges here have um, ceased their 2018-19 uh, their school year. But we had about 500 um, that we were working with or tracking one way or another that had graduated from high school.
0: And that is really astounding because that's 500 kids that probably if you hadn't intervened in this program, hadn't hadn't been there, they they probably wouldn't be in post-secondary right now. So that's pretty exciting. Now, when you're looking at this program, some of the things that that I like to talk about is that what, what are some of the lessons that you think really transfer well for everyone else? And and, and you talked about this, about how the, the the program focus is not just on that student. It's about changing school culture. It's about uh, questioning some of the power structures and some of the things related to equity. What would you say are the biggest takeaways for schools when you're working with this program that you would like to see expanded?
1: Yeah, I think you you hit on one of the key elements is that it is about changing uh instruction and culture. Um what I've learned is that a lot of times schools talk about changing um either instruction or culture um and there's not a clear connection made between how they uh, mutually uh reinforce each other. Um The lessons uh, that we really focus on are what are the systems and leadership it takes to support a change in culture and leadership. Um, And um, there are a lot of different choices, but unless you make intentional and clear and streamlined connections between those two, the idea that, yes, we need to change our culture or we need to change the way that we're teaching, um, those stay as ideas. And I'll give one specific example. One of the things that everyone talks about, but we've also believed um, from what we've been able to observe in our AVID elective classes, is that uh, relationships change the culture of the way school works. So, the relationship of how teachers and staff engage and interact with students are there spaces where we're building uh, communities and where students can feel safe, right? And there's a ton of research that says, that we need to build trust in order for students to really be able to dive into the academic work, particularly when they're from marginalized groups. And so there's a lot of uh, research and ideas out there about how this should be done. But if this is not connected in a very intentional way to how we're training staff, how we're thinking about the environment of our school, how we're thinking about the way that instruction can be designed and delivered, then the promise of the idea of simply changing the relationship becomes very surface. Um, It, it, it it becomes um, recognizing diversity or it becomes engaging in uh, cultural uh, relevance Um, instead of really rethinking um, what are the ways that we're actually setting up the system um, and so I think one of the lessons that we've learned is that it does take a comprehensive view of even some you know individual aspects to really disentangle how they're related to each other um, and with the view that we have in our implementation eleven years in um, we've we've realized that um, it's not a daunting task but it does take a a, an intentional and comprehensive and global view of how things fit together are interrelated and integrated in the way that schools work. Yeah,
0: that isn't that so true. And, and what I love is that you talk about instruction in culture. Um, another thing that I've another way that I've heard that explained before is that schools need to be both rigorous and human. And it's that without without both. Um, it falls down. And and I think that you really, I think that's the strength of your program or that program that, you, that you're that you working with is that it really looks at that comprehensively and both aspects of that. I'm interested, when you're talking about instruction and culture, what are some of the big lessons that, that, that you're giving to teachers? So is it, you know, to build relationships? Is it to, hey, show up into this elective program to to be seen in those more community building spaces i'm sure that that's one aspect of it but when you're then talking about the instruction what are the kind of things that you're suggesting for teachers to think about when they're when they're actually getting into that instructional piece
1: so yes the first i think is the relationships matter building community matters building those safe spaces for students to matter not for the sake of the safe spaces, but for the sake of building academic insight into the students that helps inform teachers' instruction. Um, And so those relationships are helping build cognitive insight and abilities for teachers to understand whether or not um, students are actually receiving their information um, and that learning is going on. Beyond that, I think one of the things that we have learned, particularly with instruction, it is that it, that learning is a recursive activity. And that formative assessments and summative assessments is a cycle that takes that, that comes together in partnership with other teachers, that teachers work together in community. Learning from each other, learning from what they are doing with their students, and and that students are learning with teachers about how their own learning is going. Um, metacognition on the part of the students, um, building that muscle for students um, to understand their own learning um, goes across content areas um, and is absolutely essential to the way that we conceive of what we're doing. So we're always Providing students with opportunities to reflect, to set goals, to understand and appreciate um, their mistakes so that they can grow from them. Um, And building that time into instruction and being intentional about the ways that students are supported in learning about their own learning. Um, Common strategies across schools and common strategies throughout the years for students make learning easier. So if a student, for example, um, we believe that organizational and note-taking systems that are the same in every class, right? different content, but are same in every class, the student learns it once, now they're focused on learning the content. Um, and if that system grows each year to go deeper into their own learning, but stays similar and builds on itself, you provide opportunities for students to recognize, understand how their thinking is maturing, but also focusing on the material. And so, some those are some just in terms of the instruction. Um, those are some key lessons that um that we walk away with when stu- when schools are able to focus around some of those pieces, um, then we can have the conversations about what is the rigor within a course and how are we getting students to take the most rigorous courses? Because now we can really focus on what is the teaching and learning that has to happen, whether it be um, instructional design or task or scaffolding that supports both of those um, aspects of rigor.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I think that those are really interesting concepts, and I'm sh- I'm sure yeah it'd be interesting to to delve deeper in that that collaboration around getting some structures in place so that the learning can actually happen and not just keep learning four different note taking systems because that's probably not the reason we're there to learn different note taking systems. It's more to get into the actual academics and and push into that rigor. So I that's a really helpful suggestion. One of the questions or one of the things that that sometimes get lost is sometimes a mass of 500 kids just becomes a mass of 500 kids. It's just a blob. And we forget that those are 500 individuals that you have helped get into post secondary, let alone the 1500 that you're that you're helping out in 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 actual school aged. Can you tell me about a situation or a few situations that 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 more personalizes that mm-hmm. when you're talking about the avid and you look at think about a success story um something that kind of epitomizes what you're trying to achieve what do you think about or who do you think about
1: yeah the 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 one of the wonderful things is there are a lot of individual stories that that tell this story but i I'll, I'll i'll give you one that that i think crosses a few different areas so this this student there was a student that um um started um in the ninth grade in the avid elective class um at one of our high schools and um by the time uh of her second semester in her uh freshman year uh, and and her uh her family was a- in various uh places in terms of their living situation but she was able to Find community and support and family within the avid elective class. Um, Ultimately, she her family found some more stable housing, but it was in another school. But she was able to transfer into the avid elective class at that school. One of the experiences that she was able to have was she we have um, internships that we're able to offer through our partnership, and she was able to um, get an internship um after her junior year um uh and, and she was all, through that internship she was able to work for the city city government um and she was able to make a lot of connections and she found a passion for both government and education um and uh that brought her back to her uh junior and senior year where she had direction And through the program, was able to really think about what she wanted to do after high school and what her next steps were going to be. And she applied to colleges, um, and her family um, still did not have a great deal of money. And through the program, we were able to work with her um, to identify scholarships and grants, and she was able to um, get into a college. Um, She ended up transferring colleges, um, as many of our students do, to be closer to home for family situations, but because of the college coaching, we were able to help facilitate that process, Um, and she um, had to drop down to part-time in college, but because of the connections to the college coaches, we were able to help find her employment and a job, and after six years of, of college, she was able to graduate. And now um, she's working um, in our schools and, um, and because of the relationship. And there were many times where many students would have fallen off the case. But this, this student had the will and desire within her, no doubt. But there were also a lot of opportunities um, where we were able to identify key places and areas of support that were enabling her to move forward. And um, she speaks about that she wouldn't know where she would be without first the human beings that she was with, the teachers that she calls out by name, the counselor that was there with her um, at both of the schools that was there to help guide her personally. The skills that she learned in the classes that when she was in college and she was switching colleges was able to provide her the academic foundation and support to take college level classes and be successful. Um, and so it is that story of perseverance through, throughout change, throughout uh, barriers and obstacles that many students um, would not have persevered through. And I think that those stories, those individual stories about a student um, who has not only the internal desire and capacity, but that is augmented and supported by a system that actually believes in them. And has um, the resources to support them. Yeah.
0: I think it really speaks to how you are impacting human potential. It also talks about, and what it gets me thinking about at least, is just sometimes how uh, privilege can be invisible. And so privilege we think about money and yeah I'm sure economics was a part of that but it's also knowing how to navigate a system. It's also about knowing how to who to talk to and who you can connect with for jobs and things like that and and so it sounds like you're 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 addressing inequity on a whole bunch of different levels and that's that's perhaps why it's been so successful and and why you're having such a big impact. Um, I want to get into perhaps learning or education a bit more generally. And I'd like to know, is there something about learning or school or education that you believe is true that oftentimes people wish will, will push back on you or disagree with you
1: upon? Um, I, I think that um, to be successful um, in schools um It is an inherently political, but not in a partisan way, uh, enterprise in that we have to be involved in the world in which our students are involved in um, to be successful in it. Um, We can't divorce ourselves or stand above it or not understand where our students are coming from. And I think that as much as teaching algebra um, is part of the work. and, and students and families and systems respond. And I think you refer to it as the human part of, 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 of the enterprise. But I, I, I think, um, I think there is sometimes a, a view for, for some, and, and I don't know how pervasive this is, but that if we continue to focus on technical aspects of teaching, um, grading, uh, assessment, um, counseling and administration that will we will find our answers and um, I think answers are found in partnership and in conversation in an environment where we we address and respect the fact that there are power differences um, there are differences in culture and that um, every other aspect is influenced by those and that we, it is so in that way, it is inherently political, um, and I think um, it's inherently relational and inherently political um, and if we try to get around that, then we've missed the point
0: mm-hmm. i i I agree with you we we oftentimes and I've seen it, you've probably seen it we we believe in the the cult of academics if we can just get a better instruction uh, strategy, things are all going to turn out right, and if we uh, ignore that other side. Yeah, that cultural side, the human side, I, I, we're not going to get there. And I love how you also say it's, you know, solutions are made by conversation and community. And usually the answers in the room, but we have to get together. Um, Because, yeah, when people hear that they need to be involved in the life of their kids that they're teaching, well, they think, oh, I'll just listen to their music. Well, it's not as easy as that. You actually be involved in their lives. To know what someone is going through is much more deep than just, uh, you know, a surface level. It's actually connecting with them. It's actually speaking with them. It's actually hearing, not just, not just listening, but hearing, um, and listening and understanding what's going on. What is the barriers to, to their success? Matt I think you yeah it's really inspiring what you guys are doing next one's a little bit about learning environments and you you mentioned this before and it sounds like you've you've thought deeply about this and when you think about the best learning experiences that perhaps you've had or perhaps that you've seen what made them powerful or what makes them powerful what was it about the people, places, activities that you think really helped move forward learning?
1: Yes, um, both from my own, but I've, I've been've had the great privilege privilege to watch people um, in, in exceptional uh, spaces for learning. Um, I think uh, the first thing that strikes me in a learning environment that's working is that, students and teachers are in partnership that there is there is community that time has been taken to build community generally speaking there are routines and there are high expectations um the high expectations um come with the understanding uh that we will get there together um and um and that these are explicit and clear and, and, and non-negotiable. Um, in my, in what I've seen, um, is that, uh, it's the ability to have, uh, conversations with students and students have conversations with teachers, um, that are uncomfortable because, uh, I'm not getting this or I'm not understanding why, uh, you're not getting this. Um, but we will get there together student to student discourse uh, environments that create opportunities for students to learn from each other um, create a multiplicity more a multiple multiple more opportunities for for learning um, when we have teacher driven and teacher dominated spaces and environments where we're waiting for the answers from the font of knowledge of the teacher Um It it, it misses opportunities, and we have so many great uh, teachers who become uh, understand the process of 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 teaching information and providing opportunities for students to wrestle with that, and 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 um, internalize it, question it, and be able to work with each other to make sense of it. Um, Who's doing the thinking? Um, When I see great learning environments. It's the students that are doing their thinking. It's the students that are wrestling with the big questions. Um, and the teachers are, are, are conducting uh, and providing opportunities for students and teachers to assess where they are in their learning. And it becomes a, 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 an individual pursuit, but in an individual in a community uh, that is supportive of that pursuit. Um, that there are restorative practices um, that we know as a community. Um, that there are going to be times that there are there's harm but we already know that there's a way that we can that we can work through that and that doesn't that that what we sometimes call discipline or behavior isn't seen as a, a, a response to something but as an ongoing process of how are we always checking with each other to make sure that as a community we, we are each getting what we need and that we are each meeting our obligations um, and so those are some of the key elements that I've seen in those kind of environments. And students will push themselves. Students will take chances. Students don't have to be right in those environments, but they are, what they have to be is engaged. right? And, we are, and when we are holding ourselves accountable to be engaged, to, to be a community, to be kind, um, and, but also to really respect intellectual pursuit, um, that's when it's fun. And, and and it's 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 and fun has to be a part of it as well. Um it, it it's 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 fun to actually dive into those things in a safe place and learn something new.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> um last question before we get into some some quicker answers. Um I was wondering if you had a favorite success or a favorite failure that you often reflect on As a as a moment when when you learned an important lesson, something that that you say, "Oh, okay, I learned that it was really important," and this is the time because of either this really positive or negative experience, and it kind of influences and 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 colors your decisions from that point on.
1: And this, I'll give you a very specific answer that's related to our program, but it sticks with me. Um, So after. Maybe our second graduating class. We had this young woman who um, was very bright um, and very motivated. Who got accepted to college, to a private college, um, got scholarships for the college, and we were very happy that we were able to support her in this in this endeavor. And this was something that you know um, she was uh, from an immigrant family, and 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 was this was something they had never dreamed of. Um, and, and she goes off to college and she, and she comes back in a month later and essentially, uh, said to us, um, you know, my, my, my parents, um, my family said that they didn't want me to continue, um, at that college. And the lesson that, and it was sort of heartbreaking for everybody. Um, she transferred back and she ended up being okay, but um She graduated from from college, and um she's doing well, but the lesson was we didn't involve the family we we hadn't really talked to the families about what our purpose was what our what our philosophy and our program was, and what that was going to mean to them and We had left the the family out of that conversation, which had put that student in a in a bad situation. We had given them the confidence to do something, but we hadn't given them we hadn't built a bridge in communication between the family the student and ourselves to understand what we were doing for all these 4 years to get that student to that place where they could get into this place and it was great for them and the family didn't understand that and and so we were we that was a misstep that was a misstep on our part um, and so it still sticks with me um, the two the two specific pieces i pull out of that is one firstly families um, the partnership with families is as important as a partnership with students. It's not as time invest. It's not as much of a time investment, but it is absolutely equally as critical. Um, we have to walk in partnership. And the other thing is that there, the, there are cultural differences um, between our institution, which um, and the way that we look at college and money and risk. Um, and we we have to understand that not all of our families. Um are looking at it the same way. And we have to both respect that and honor that, but also get it, not be afraid to engage in that conversation.
0: That, that seems like it is perfectly aligned with your idea of creating community and informing and helping uh, both students as well as the wider, the wider environment, which can be parents. It could be maybe grandparents could be aunts and uncles. It might even be uh, siblings. So that's, that's a good one. Thanks for sharing that one. Do you have a favorite website, a favorite app or, or a film, perhaps, some sort of media that, that you like particularly or
1: that you're using a lot right now? Um it, we we use a lot. Um big future. I mean, w- w- when we when we look for college resources, um there is a ton out there. We try to simplify. Um, you know, and the biggies for us are Big Future, um, which is which is a college board uh sort of design site that really is a tool, a pretty powerful tool for students to help design what their futures are. We have a um a tool that our that, that for our academic and career planning that our students use and our staff use called Zello. Um and that that is a, a, a that is a service that we purchase, but in terms of things that are out there um i like the big futures know how to go is a good one for us that provides a lot of student stories um you know we what there are there are a few different podcasts, but one of the things that we um that we like to do is really provide opportunities from students to hear from other students. Um, and so there, anytime that we, we have resources where they're sharing, um, that kind of information, we, we, we pass it along. Um, and so that's, um, that's, that's sort of our go-to. Um, there's a, there's a, um, there's a book that we've used in the past called the doctors. Um, about three uh, individuals from um, an urban area that essentially pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps to become doctors. Um, and there's just a lot of, re- there's a ton out there, but um, it's for us, it's, it's, it's a lot of it's about helping our students identify where they want to go to find their own resources. Um, mm-hmm. And so giving them you know, some basic tools. And then allowing them to identify things they're going to share back with us is, is typically what we've done. Yeah.
0: And that was going to be my next question is book. So you, you already got that one. You're ahead of the game. Um, what's one thing that you do every day or most days that helps you be well and healthy, that helps you to be available to to help these kids and run this program?
1: I am an explicit and big believer in mindfulness. Um and uh, we are very fortunate here to have the uh, University of Wisconsin Center for Healthy Minds. One of the things that I do, there's a three, two, one exercise um, that I do most nights. For me, I do it at night before I go to bed where I think about three good things um, that have happened. Um, I, I think about one, um, one place where I made a difference, or that I was helpful, and I take two minutes of, of mindful restfulness or meditation, um, and I found that that the gratitude and recognizing that there are good things that are going on every day. And sometimes I go back at that list and I look at that list just because I sort of recorded on a spreadsheet. And whatever the trials and tribulations or the challenges of the day, um, it it does reinforce and, and sort of fill my my cup up uh, again.
0: Sounds like a good one. Is there an organization or a person who really inspires you? That could be a short-term one, someone that's really, you're really interested in right now, or perhaps it's been a longer term, someone or an organization that you've looked to over time and have really respected and followed their progress.
1: Um. So I... Um, I follow um, Pedro Nogueira, um, and um, I always find some good things um, in terms of inspiring about what, what is going on in terms of addressing uh, race and education in, in, in America. Um, Also, the Minority Student Achievement Network, um, MSAN, um, specifically because MSAN schools are schools that are similar to um, Madison schools, where the schools themselves are racially integrated, but we still have achievement differences. So it's not an issue of do we need to integrate or bus or whatever the the case might be in a a lot of situations. It's how do we get to those softer, um, more cultural, um, and sometimes more nuanced um, barriers that are in our culture, our city, in our society that are replicating inequalities, historic inequalities. And so there's a lot of research articles, um, discussion forums that I find insightful and helpful, and I follow both of them on Twitter. Um, and usually once a week, there's an article that comes up from them, or there's there's some research that that, that just continues my thinking and learning. Yeah, That sounds great.
0: Hey, what's uh, what are some of the next steps for you? Um, I'm thinking about the future. I'm thinking about uh, maybe your program. Uh, what are some of the things that you're looking at next? What are some of the new um, uh, kind of initiatives or maybe small changes that, that you guys have identified that you think might bring your program uh, that next improvement?
1: I think one of the things that um, the areas for us next is to as a member of A district is providing more user friendly ways um, for schools to really implement college and career readiness um, and for ways for culture change to happen um, in a more direct relationship between what we are doing at a district level and what schools are doing and sort of working on that relationship. Um, particularly in the areas of of planning for students, academic and career planning, and providing opportunities for students to have more robust experiences that prepare them for their future. In particular, we know that some students, students that have privilege and advantage, have a lot of different opportunities. But how do we provide a baseline of opportunities um, and ways that students can access both inside and outside school opportunities that fill them up? where they feel their own strength. And so that's that's sort of the, the area that we're getting into. Um, it's, it's a little daunting, but um, we know that that will pay off, um, but it is really working across roles. So it's teachers, counselors, uh, social workers, um, and administrators about what are experiences that students are having in school and out of school, and how can we um, provide opportunities for students who don't traditionally or historically um, have as many choices for them to have key choices. They won't ever have the same amount of choices. We aren't at the ability to do that. But we've identified what are some key options and choices and experiences that they that we believe that will help them greatly, and how do we make sure that those are available to them. Yeah.
0: I want to thank you so much for taking a little bit of time for sharing the the great work that you're doing. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And and I'm really inspired by the work that that you're leading out there in, uh, in Madison. So thank you so much.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this edition of the intersection education podcast. Just a reminder that you can connect with us on our website, intersectioneducation.com on Twitter, intersection ed, or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.